Today we will be reading from three passages. The first reading is from Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The second reading is from John chapter 1, verse 9 to 18. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made th through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which what was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who were, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. The children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me great has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son, who is himself God, and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. And the final reading will be from Revelation chapter 21, verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them, that they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Joshua. <clears throat> for the month of December and for New Year's Day, we're going to be looking at this theme of that coming day, which is for us a picture of anticipation. And what we've been trying to explore is what it might have been like to be the people of God who are waiting for these promises to come true while also recognizing that we, as the people of God today, are awaiting a specific promise to come, and that is the promise of Christ's return. And so to enter into this theme of anticipation, we've been talking about the coming light, the coming deliverer. Last night we looked at the coming morning star. Today we're going to consider the coming sun, and then next week we'll be looking at the coming shepherd. This morning, uh, as we turn to look at the coming sun, um, 
I want you to be thinking about this passage from Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. In that, we read these words, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And it raises the question, can a person be a gift? Can a person be a gift? In our home, sometimes we like to joke we like to tell, I, I tell my wife or she tells me sometimes, she say, you know what? I don't know what to get you for Christmas this year, so I'm just going to get a big red bow and wrap it around myself, and then you come downstairs and voila, Merry Christmas, here we are. And we joke because we know that as much as we bring joy to one another, or we like to think we bring joy to one another, sometimes we don't. <laughs> Some of you are... Uh, experienced with children. And you know that children, while a blessing, also can come with heartache, can also come with trial. Can a person be a gift? Oftentimes we think of a gift as something that we unwrap or we open. It's something that's given to us. A true gift is no strings attached. And, and it's yours to, to do with as you will. It's, it's yours to use at your pleasure. And when you put a person in terms like that, it doesn't, doesn't really sound good, does it? You don't really have a person that you can use at your disposal. That's, that's, that's like slavery. That's, that's, that's like abuse. We don't really like to think of people in those terms. So if you think of a gift as something that's simply to be used or to be spent for your own pleasure, it's kind of awkward to think of a person as a gift. And people are complicated. You live long enough and you'll realize you're one of those complicated people. You may be walking into situations, you know, when you're, when you're in your teens, your 20s, and you, you, you focus in on sort of all your strengths and all that you bring to the world. You look at the world and you think, wow, how, how is the world going to remember me? And you're thinking about it in positive terms. You're thinking, you know, what am I going to do for the world? What are they going to look back on? And what are they going to look at me and say, you know what? We're so glad that, that, that this person was born into the world. And you get a bit older and you think, what are they going to remember about me? And you're actually hoping that they're not remembering the things that you have done in the world. People are complicated. So we read this promise in Isaiah chapter 6, to us a child is born and to us a son is given. And we ask, can a person be a gift? We tend to sort of reduce this gift down to something very, very small and something very, very quaint. And we think, oh, you know what? We'll reduce this gift down to a baby in swaddling clothes because that's about as simple as a human can get. And we can all sort of agree on that. To get, guide our time this morning, I want to just sort of raise three questions that all have to do with this idea of hope and, and giving and receiving. The first one is, who is this gift child? To us, a son is given. Who, who is this gift child? Secondly, how could anyone meet these expectations? 
Every gift comes with expectations. I don't know if you realize this. Part of the thrill that we get at Christmas about giving gifts, the reason why we cover them up and wrap them, is we just like to savor that whole sense of anticipation and expectation. And we like to tease one another and we say, you know, I'm just going to let you sit in suspense, wondering what's behind that wrapping paper. And we're just going to leave it there for a while and just going to get your expectations worked up. Whenever there's a gift, there's always some sort of, sort of expectation. Can, can anyone live up to the expectation of this gift child? And then, and then lastly, has the gift been taken away from us? We'll come to that at the end. Can a gift be a person? We've been talking about that. I want you to be thinking about that. Who is this child? We read later on in verse 6 of Isaiah chapter 9, this child, the government will be on his shoulders. We talked about that last night. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. As one commentator has said, this is the child with four names. My parents gave me three. <laughs> one of them's a a, 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 a surname that gets passed down from generation to generation so that people can know who my parents were and they can know who their parents were. The other name was, was a family name to honor somebody else in my family. And, and my first name, my first name means God gives. Gives what? Hopefully it's good things, but it means God gives. This child has four names. And we're going to take a moment to just look at what these names are. Wonderful Counselor. That's a great name. Wonderful Counselor. Or, in a very stiff and in a wooden translation, Wonder Counselor. You say, ah, that's great. You know, counselors are helpful. You know, there's people in life who need counseling. And this guy, this child, seems like somebody that might be able to help those people. But in the name Wonderful Counselor is this idea that there's things in the human experience and the human condition that are not easily resolved. There's mysteries that are not quickly solved. There's dark spaces and places that people cannot fully enter into. And when they actually find themselves in those dark spaces and places, they don't know how to get out. There's a heaviness and a weariness to life that builds over time. Maybe some of you are experiencing that. And maybe some of you are wondering what I wouldn't give to have somebody come and, and undo this heart burden. You need a wonder counselor. The idea behind a wonder is it's not something that's natural, it's supernatural. So you might actually understand this as a supernatural counselor. This child is promised to be someone who will give wisdom and insight and understanding to bring light and illumination, to bring comfort and to bring healing, but to bring it not from an earthly space, but to bring it from a heavenly space. It's a supernatural counselor. Someone who is above creation. Someone who's outside the human experience. 
This child will also be called Mighty God. Now that's a bold name. <laughs> I want to know, does it, anybody, anybody name their kid or think of them naming their kid God? That's, like, that's, that's just, I don't know why that's not first. I, I don't know. <laughs> this child's name will be Mighty God. And there's a recognition here in this promise that, that this child carries with it the expectation of the authority, the majesty, the glory, and the holiness that belongs only to the Creator. But in this child, there is also a strength. There's a power. When this child is to bring his will to bear, none will be able to stand against it. He's mighty God. His third name is Prince of Peace. Prince to convey this idea of royalty. This idea of someone who has authority by virtue of his, of his identity and who he is. But he's a prince of peace, meaning peace is his dominion. His, his, his dominion, the, the, the place of his rule, wherever he rules, he brings what the Hebrew calls shalom, this sense of wholeness, this sense of completeness, this sense of nothing lacking, nothing, nothing, nothing extraneous. Many of you have heard Psalm 23, and you read Psalm 23 where David says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And the psalm unfolds as a picture of peace. It's being led in, in, in the right paths. It's being, it's, it's being guided through darkness. It's being reconciled with your enemies. It's, it's having everything right and brought back into harmony, both with God and with others. Well, this child is the prince of that. That's his dominion. And his fourth name is Everlasting Father. It's a bit curious to name a child father, isn't it? I mean, is that being a bit presumptuous? In the scriptures, God, when he takes the takes the symbol of father, it's, it's as one who provides with compassion. It's the best things about what a father should be. Someone who is willing to, out of, out of their own resources, supply, to be strong, to give guidance and direction, and ultimately to, to bring life into the world. to be the seed, the core of life itself. This child is going to be those things. A, a father, one who, who will be compassionate, who will not break a bruised reed, who isn't going to blow out a smoldering wick. Some of you never had a father like that, and I'm sorry. The problem is not with the idea of a father. The problem is our inability to reflect it. 
But this child will be the best things of what a father should be. But as some of, as some of you grow older and some of you who've, who have lost your fathers, be it through circumstance or be it through, through illness, even be it through death itself, is that fathers don't last forever, even the good ones. Again, this thing about, about going through life is, is the, the one who was responsible for bringing you into the world in a human sense is taken from you. They don't last. That protector, that, that, that provider, that supplier is not going to be there forever. But this child is said to be the everlasting father. And so it begs the question, who could live up to this? This is said of a child. This is said of a baby. I mean, you talk about, you know, putting stuff on your kids. <laughs> you know, we don't want to use a red pen when we mark the homework, lest their self-esteem drop too much. You know, this kid gets like, wonderful counselor, mighty God, prince of peace, everlasting father. You're the, this is who you are. Who could live up to this? Well, John has the answer for us. John chapter 1, as my son Joshua read for us this morning. The light that gives light, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, though the world was made through him. You see, he's a creator. The world did not recognize him. He came to his own, that which, he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed on his name, he gave the right to become children of God. He's granting the right to become a child. He is a father. But he's from everlasting. And so you have this, this paradox. You have this, this sweeping promise in the Old Testament. And, and, and you got to ask yourself, how, how on earth could this be true? How could you have a human being fraught with these expectations? And they carried these expectations all through the lineage of David. King David was told that he would have a son over his house ruling and the problem was, as the kingship transferred from one to the next, to the next, to the next, it just became failure after failure after failure after failure. And, and at some point, right, at some point you got to be thinking, we cannot handle the expectations. And then you get a prophet like Isaiah come along and he just ramps the expectations right back up while the kingdom is on the verge of collapsing. And you say... How is this even possible? Verse 14, the word became flesh. This word, which according to verse 1 was in the beginning, just as God was. The word was with God. The word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made and nothing was made. And without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life and that life was the light of all mankind. This word became flesh. In other words, the child in the manger is God in the flesh. Only God could meet these expectations. And so, again, I ask you, can a gift be a person? 
Can a gift be a person? When you come to the manger scene, you, you, you imagine Mary and, and baby Jesus, and we have all these songs about how cute and quaint all of that is, but, but the temptation is for us to leave him there and to label him with the fallenness of the rest of us and miss, miss what has been promised about this child, that it is God in the flesh. And in that sense, Jesus is a gift. God gives us himself. John would go on to say that Jesus gives greater grace. He does this, if you follow with me, in verse 16, out of his fullness, we have already received, excuse me, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. What, what does he mean there? Verse 17, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. What he's saying there is that God had already revealed himself through the law. Just like you might leave a note for your spouse or for a family member or for a friend, you might write down a note. You might say, look, I'm going away. Here's what I'd like you to do. Can you look after my house? Can you look after my stuff? The bin day is Wednesdays, and I shop my groceries here. Here, I've given you money. It's over here. Be sure to put it in this pantry. You could write a list, and that, in a sense, is a representation of yourself. You could do that. But it's entirely different if you, if you move into the house with them. The people of God had received from God the very words and they were given to Moses and this was a grace. It was a mercy that God would disclose himself. But now, now the very command of God is not etched into a tablet, it's walking on legs. It's touching people with his hands. It's looking people in the eye. It's speaking to them tenderly and sometimes forcefully. It's calling them back from the dead. And so Jesus gives greater grace, ultimately, in that he grants eternal life. At the end of verse 13, this child is not born of natural descent. He grants the, the right to become children of God, spiritual children. Only God could live up to this. Which leads us to the last thing that I want to, the last question I want to ask. Well, who took my present? <laughs> We're talking about something that happened thousands and thousands of years ago. We played white elephant. You guys might call it, uh, you know, crummy Christmas or, or uh, whatever you call it. You ever played that game? Raise your hand if you played that game, right? And, and what happens is you get something and you open it and then somebody else gets a chance to steal your gift, right? So you might open something and you think, wow, I never knew I wanted this thing, but here it is. It's been given to me. And then, you know, five minutes later, Billy over there says, I think I really like that. And they can take yours. And you're like, great. What do I get left with? And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you've been walking with the Lord for a while, sometimes this line of thinking can get into, into our heads and say, you know, why did I have to be born right now? Well, I, I want to walk with Jesus. I wanted to be with Peter, James, and John. I, I wanted to be there. I wanted to see these things with my own eyes. And you tell me, you tell me, Pastor, that this, this Jesus is a gift. Well, well, where is he? Who took him from me? And you feel like somebody stole your present. Can I just encourage you, no one's taken your gift. 
No one's, no one's robbed you of Christ. Jesus would say to his disciples later in this gospel that he doesn't leave us as orphans, meaning we are still God's children through him. He is also the gift that keeps on giving. I know that's a trite phrase, but he would say that he, he is the water from which you drink, and if you drink from him, you will never thirst again. He is the bread that came down from heaven. You can feed on him spiritually every single day, and you will not go hungry. You can have a peace that is outside of this world and outside of your circumstances that abides with you, that cannot be taken from you. Even if people take your life itself, they can't take that. That's because his life is transforming us into his likeness. His life is in us through the presence of his Holy Spirit. He dwells with us. He promises his disciples, he says, I will come and make my home in you. And my father will come and make his home in you. Spiritually, this is what you've been offered in Christ. And that life is transforming you into his likeness. The big idea, folks, and if all you remember is this, Christmas is God giving himself to us. That's what it is. It's not about a, it's not about a time of the weather. It's not, about, it's not about having a break from work. It's not about gift exchanges with relations and friends and would-be relations and friends. Christmas simply means God giving himself to us. He gave you his son. And so I'm going to finish you, finish with these words from John. He came to his own but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Christmas is God giving himself to us that we might be restored to him, that you might belong to him. And so if you know the Lord this morning, I pray that the rest of your day is filled with joy, not at what's, you know, under your tree or in your parcel box or, or, or what food you get to eat or even the people you get to see. But I hope that today is marked with joy because for you, you know you have an everlasting Father. You have a Prince of Peace. You have a mighty God. And you have a wonderful counselor. Yes, a gift can be a person. And the best gift is. The only question is, have you received it? You say, how do I receive it? Well, you receive a gift. You receive the gift of Christ the way you receive any gift. You first acknowledge that it's been given. How foolish would it be to walk downstairs this morning and see all these presents on, you know, around in my room and just sort of ignore it and say, you know, here we are, it's another Sunday. Oh, I wonder what footy team's playing today. 
Uh, you know, I got this project at work that I'm working on. Oh, man. And every day you just walk by the gift. You just, you just walk by every day. You got to acknowledge a gift's been given, first of all. Then, then you actually, you got to involve yourself. You, you got to open it. Like, you can't just say, hey, thanks for that. And you never open it. You never actually take it into yourself, receive it, examine it, look into it, and adopt it as your own. You see, in unwrapping the gift, you make it your own. And part of coming to Christ and receiving him is making him your own. And finally, to receive the gift, you thank the giver. You, you, you look the giver in the eye and you say, thank you. I didn't deserve that, but you've given it to me. And I'm grateful. Acknowledge that God has come to you in Christ. Take ownership Take ownership of Christ. Bring him in. Not, not, not because he can fit in your life. He's bigger than you are. But make him your own. And thank God. Persevere in gratitude. As the band comes forward, I want to uh, just encourage you that this is a gift this is a gift that will pay <laughs> such great dividends going forward. You see, Christ is going to return. The son, the son who had these names, who was given these names as a child, is also the king who is returning. And he's the king that we're awaiting. And if you have questions about that, I encourage you, go back, listen to what we talked about last night. Because the day is about to dawn. The sun is about to rise and the sun is about to return. And we will all see him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your truth. We ask in Christ's name that we would receive him in faith. That we would trust in his work. Or that Christ would be ours. Help us to close with him. Help us to honor you and give thanks for what you've done for us. Lord, show us through your spirit what it looks like to follow after Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.